Ooh, thank you. Thank you so much. I am just getting such ridiculous favor from the Lord, especially coming here. I mean, I, I, mean, I couldn't have planned to have come from Coleraine, Northern Ireland to Coleraine here, Ohio. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, I mean, exactly 222 years since uh, John Dunlap had um, founded and, you know, had established, actually, this township. Uh, and then to receive, almost like receiving the keys to the city, like, literally, <laughs> it's amazing. It's like, you know, God, I just think God has a sense of humor. You know, I know, that I know he has a sense of humor. Um, but it's, it's been a, just an amazing time here. Um, thank you for just welcoming me, your hospitality, your generosity, uh, just the, the God's presence here, just the hunger that I see around me, and the wonderful things that God's doing. And it just feels like home in Coleraine, apart from the weather, which is slightly different. Um, so what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to go straight to uh, God's word. I'm going to read to you from um, Judges chapter 6. And I'm reading about someone who I really somehow can identify with. And I'll explain why after I read it. So I'm reading from Judges chapter 6 from verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Melekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Ebezerites where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? 
My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. I so identify with Gideon, who uh, was hiding away in a wine press to keep the very little that, that they had from the Midianites, who had completely um, covered the land and had taken all that um, the Israelites had. And they were hiding in, in caves, it says, in clefts and uh, wherever they could. And, you know, it's a safe place to hide in a wine press. And I, you know, as I've followed the Lord, one of the things I've discovered, he sometimes takes you to places that you don't want to go to. Have you noticed that? Yes. If you follow Jesus... And uh, you know that he always moves. He moves to, from place to place. And if you follow him, you go with him. If he goes this way, you have to go this way. But sometimes he takes you to places you don't want to go to. And I, that's what I found. And, oh, you know, I, Jesus has called me to be an evangelist. And that in itself is, uh, I find, really strange. Because I'm shy and introverted. Now, how can someone who's shy and introverted be an evangelist? Well, either God has a sense of humor or he's really smart, and I've discovered he's really smart. But I, I began to, to um, take teams with me around the United Kingdom, out on the streets, and, and then into Ireland. And I went to uh, the south and did some ministry there, saw some amazing things. I remember praying for uh, being in... I think, that, I think the town was called Westport, and we're on the main, a main road, and um, this was the time I was doing my, the Signs of Wonders ministry on the streets, and the first person to come for prayer was a nun, and her name was Mary, <laughs> and she was deaf in one ear, and we were right by a main road that was really busy, and I took my finger... And I put it into Mary's ear, like this. The moment I did that, the traffic stopped. I mean, the traffic stopped dead in the street. I, I prayed my best prayer. I pulled my finger out of her eardrum. And she was healed. And she took the microphone and began to tell everyone that Jesus had healed her. And, you know, so I had some very interesting times in my travels, but... People would say to me, Mark, you should come and live here in Ireland. And my reply was, thank you, but no thank you. You know, my, my bones crave heat. I prefer a warm, a warm climate. And, uh, you know, if you know anything about Ireland, it's called the Emerald Isle for a reason. It's, it rains a lot, and it can get pretty cold. So as I traveled to the north, um, there were some prophetic words for me in, in Northern Ireland and people said, Mark, we believe that God is calling you to Northern Ireland. So in my own time alone with the, with the Lord, I would pray this, this kind of prayer. Father, thank you for what you're doing in Northern Ireland. But please don't send me there to live. <laughs> and then just nearly 18 years ago, this August, God posted me to Northern Ireland with my wife and three boys. 
And I always wondered, what kind of prayer do you have to pray to get posted to, like, Hawaii? <laughs> I mean, can someone tell me, what, how do you pray to go to places like that? I mean, I met these retired missionaries to Saint-Tropez, you know, in, in south of France. I mean, and they're conducting weddings on yachts. I mean, how do they get that sort of... <laughs> Lord, please don't send me there. I don't know. But what I've discovered is that, is that when you follow Jesus, and sometimes he asks you to do things you really don't want to do, but you do it, that um, you'll find your sweet spot, and it's the very center of God's will. And I find myself um, a, a reluctant follower of Jesus. And I have to explain when I say a reluctant follower, because very often God asks me to do something, and my first, the first word that comes out of my mouth, very quickly, the moment I hear, is no. But within a minute, I have, I'm saying yes to the Lord, because I love him so much. Uh, because sometimes God asks me to do things which goes against the grain, you know, especially when as a, as a shy introvert, I mean, the last place I want to be is not here, but sitting right at the back over there. I'd, I'd much rather listen to William. No, Wilson, sorry, not William, Wilson. <laughs> Come and speak. He's great. He picked me up from the airport, went to have something. He didn't tell you, but he went something to me. He had a word of knowledge for a person there, started praying for them. They're getting healed. So good. He's a great guy. But I'd much rather be at the back and God keeps pushing me to the front. He really does have a sense of humor. But I, I can identify myself with Gideon who's hiding in a wine press. And, you know, I mean, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Just turn to your neighbor and, says, and say to your neighbor, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Just call him mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now you're thinking, no, I don't feel like a mighty warrior. But you are. This is the identity that God sees in you. He sees you as mighty warriors, each one of you. You know, when I, um, years ago, as I was doing this signs and wonders ministry, before I went to Ireland, where God told me to, to lay the ministry down, and I've got to tell you this, because something I shared in, in the first service, I'll, I'll share it with you, but, you know, God um, called me to go to Northern Ireland, and I, and really, you know, I didn't want to go, but I, I went out of obedience. And then when I, when I arrived there, the Lord told me to lay down the, this ministry, uh, the signs and wonders ministry that I had, which was, like, amazing, what I saw happening on the streets, when the, the power of God and the presence of God would fall in the streets. It, it, was, it was just incredible to see. Um, so then, now the Lord tells me to lay down the ministry that I love to do, and I laid it down. And then the only job I could find was working as a double glazing salesman, you know, selling windows. And I'm not a salesman, I'm an artist. So I'm, I remember sitting in a church one day, and I feel totally depressed. I don't know if you've ever felt depressed. I thought, God, have I blown this? Have I misheard you? You know, and... Um, I thought perhaps I'd misheard God. I said, Lord, the only reason I'm here is because I, I, I'm following you as best I can. I, I want to serve you. I want to do 
you know, but if I've made a mistake somewhere, then, then God, I'll, you know, find out where I've made this mistake and we'll rectify it. We'll go back on track. And for some reason, on this particular day, and I hadn't, at that moment, I wasn't in the vineyard. It was still the very early days uh, of my journey um, in Ireland. But I was looking for a place to worship. But anyway, I was in, in church. I was worshiping on a Sunday. I couldn't listen to the speaker. I was so, you know, crying out to God. And for some reason, I brought out a new Bible that had been presented to me many, many years uh, before we actually came to live in Northern Ireland. But for some reason, this was the first time I'd ever taken this Bible that was being presented to me out of the box that it was in, brand spanking new. And I thought, well, I better listen to what the speaker is talking about. And I opened the Bible up, this brand new Bible, and inside was a photograph, which I have here. And this is a really old photograph because there's a picture of myself. You, won't, you can't see it, but it's a picture of myself and my wife, Linda, there. And I have hair. <laughs> Believe it or not, I did have hair back then. And it was taken in a field where we had a tent mission. It was an amazing, an amazing mission that we had there. And this was after, it was the first time that Linda had come to Northern Ireland. We had a two-week holiday after. It was unusual weather, like really Mediterranean-like weather. We've got beautiful beaches. And I'd never seen this photograph. But you see, behind, behind us was the company I was working for as a double-glazing salesman in the picture. God saying, no, you're on the right track. I closed the Bible. I, showed, I nudged Linda, showed her the photograph. I, I closed the Bible, said, thank you, Lord. That's all I needed. <laughs> Sometimes we just need a little nudge, a little bit of encouragement. I think that's why I'm here. It's a little nudge for you, a little bit of encouragement. But in those, those early days, you know, I, I was, um, I had this ministry. And we, I remember once going onto the streets of Edmonton. It was a place called Edmonton Green. Now, if you hear of a place called Edmonton Green, what do you expect? You'd expect a place where there's a lot of greenery, but it wasn't. It was just concrete, a lot of concrete. It was a, it was a wide concrete area uh, right by a shopping center, a very busy shopping center. And I was with a church that had been, they were slightly discouraged because they had been trying to reach their community unsuccessfully for a number of years. And so they invited me to come down to uh, help them in reaching out to people outside the building. So I did. And in those days, um, we didn't have healing on the streets, the kind of model, the, the refined model we have now with a banner and chairs. All I had was a board with a sheet of paper on it, and I would write up on it in colorful poster paints. I would write up miracles and healing here, Jesus heals, and I'd put the time. And uh, I love watching people, and I love how sometimes they pretend not to be interested. And as they're walking along, they're looking at their watch like this, you know. And then they start to slow down. The time came, and I took the microphone, and I began to tell people about the love of God, invited people they need healing to come, and we would pray for them. 
That's what I did. It was very, very raw back in those days. I saw a woman that was standing over here to my right, and I have a word of knowledge for her. And I know that Jesus wants to set her free from a situation in her life. And I go and speak to her, and, she, and, it's, and, uh, and it was spot on. God, yes, she agreed. She needed to be set free from something. So uh, I invited her to come forward for prayer. In those days, when the Spirit of God began to fall in the street, sometimes we would see whole pavements full of members of the public who had fallen under the power of God. I mean, this is on the streets outside. And I, and I, met, I, I said to the, to the team over the last few days, I, I've actually seen a street full of bodies where the power of God fell. And uh, a policeman and policewoman walking by saying, I haven't seen anything, I haven't seen anything, I haven't seen anything. Because it could have been mass murder, but like, you know, no, we're not going to get involved in this. Just carry on walking by. And so, I, you know, and it wasn't something that I had, was expecting or arranged, but this is just something back in those days, a sign and a wonder that points to Jesus that God was doing. So I, then I made sure when, when I started to see that happen, that people, there was someone standing behind the people that I prayed for just in case. This woman stood here in front of me and I put my hand on top of her head to begin to pray for her. As I was just starting to pray for her. This couple walked by. It was a mother and daughter. They were both Greek. They were speaking to each other in Greek. And it's all Greek to me because I don't understand Greek. But the mother was saying to her daughter in Greek, that man is trying to fool everyone into believing that Jesus Christ is alive today. He's not. He died 2,000 years ago. That's the end of the story. But by no coincidence, standing right next to me was a leader of the church, I was one of the leaders in the church that I was with, uh, helping them with their reaching out to people. Um, and he just happened to be Greek, no coincidence. And so he replied back to this couple as they walked by in Greek, which made them suddenly stop in shock that someone would just randomly reply back to them in their own native tongue. And then he quoted that verse of scripture which says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now watch what he's going to do. Now, I love leaders that are in faith. I mean, I just love that. Just how, so I just, yeah, that's great. So as I laid my hands on this, uh, and I'm praying for this woman, I'm taking authority over this thing that's got a grip of her life. You have to try and imagine this. Maybe difficult, but this is what happened. She dives face first past me, Right, like this, she spins in midair as she dives past me in the air, like a rugby tackle. But she dives past me, she spins in midair, she lands on her back over there where the Lord is setting her free. And I go, <laughs> Now, why didn't you catch her? <laughs> and, you know, and then that whole day, and what, what I used to do back in those days was I would say to everyone that would come forward, for prayer, if Jesus Christ heals you right now of whatever it is you need healing from, would you honor him by publicly testifying that he has healed you? And they would say, well, if I'm healed, I'll tell the world, kind of thing. So great. So I'd pray for them. I'd say, test it out. And they'd be in shock <laughs> that actually they've, God has just, you know, they've encountered God. They were healed. So I'd give them the microphone. They would begin to testify that God had healed them. And it just would just draw an even bigger crowd. And this went on the whole afternoon. And on that particular day, every single person that came forward for prayer was healed without fail. 
We saw people giving their hearts to Jesus. This couple, this Greek couple, mother and daughter, stood there all afternoon watching. They surrendered their lives to Jesus afterwards. It's amazing. Then, a few, a few months later, I was in, in my flat in London, and I was approaching the front door when this blue, thin airmail envelope came in through the door. Do you remember those very thin airmail envelopes? I hadn't seen one of those for many years. And uh, so I was interested to see who it was from, and I picked it up. I looked at the back, and it was addressed... It was from a pastor in Pakistan. Now, one, I don't know any pastors in Pakistan. And two, Pakistan was the last place on earth that I ever wanted to go to. (laughs) And to my shame... I have to confess this. My immediate thought was, this is a scam. They're after my money, whoever it is. It's right. So I opened it up, and this pastor is pleading with me to come to uh, a, a village called Gudranwala in Pakistan. So didn't know this pastor, didn't know, uh, you know, I had really no intention of going to Pakistan. Last place on earth I wanted to go to. So I put it on the shelf. And then about an hour later, the telephone rang. And there was a man with a Pakistani accent. And he said, Mark, you don't know me, but I was on the streets a few months ago when you were ministering. I saw God doing signs and wonders through you. And um, I contacted my pastor in Gujranwala, who, um, where I grew up in, and that was my, my church, I told him about you. Um, have you by any chance received a letter from him? I said, yes, I have. He said, well, inside that letter is a genuine invitation to come to Pakistan. Would you please prayerfully consider it? I went, okay. So my prayer went like this after I put the phone down. <laughs> Heavenly Father, if you really, really want me to go to Pakistan, then you have to make it really, really clear to me because I really don't want to go. And I thought, that's it, that's my prayer. Uh, And then I went to church that Sunday and this was in the, you know, early days, this was a Pentecostal church. I got saved in a Pentecostal church under the ministry of an Anglican. So I know God has a sense of humor. And I'm in the vineyard now for the last 17 years. Um, uh, this, and this lady approached me and said, Mark, I just had a dream about you last night. I said, you did? What was that about? So she said, well, you know, my sister's gone to be with Jesus. And in this dream, I saw her standing at the street corner. And she's handing out tracts to passers-by. And when she sees me, she, she gives me the biggest smile. She comes over to me. She embraces me and gives me a bear hug and tells me how much she loves me. And then she said to me, can you go to Pakistan? And I went, no. <laughs> and, then she, and then she said, is there anyone in your church that you can send? And I said, yes, Mark can go. <laughs> and then she said, well, if, well, send him because God is blessing the work in Pakistan. And if he goes, God will bless Mark. And then she said to me, does that mean anything to you? <laughs> and I replied, Maybe. And so then I 
you know, began to pray again. And my prayer went like this. Heavenly Father, if you really, really want me to go to Pakistan, please make it really, really clear to me. Because I really don't want to go. I mean, how much clearer does God have to make it when he says go? And anyway, I thought it was prudent to begin to ask people, um, you know, people who were like-minded with me, who had a heart for, the, for those outside the building, who would step out onto the streets with me. I began to ask them, how would you feel maybe, perhaps, possibly, if I went to Pakistan, how would you feel maybe, possibly, coming with me? And then a little while later, there was a telephone call, and it was from one of the elders in the church. His name was Lecter. Now, Lecter is Jamaican. He is, has an amazing sense of humor. And, um, you know, Lecter would tell you a story, and he was a great storyteller, and you wouldn't know it was a story until he came to the end. It was a punchline. You realize he was pulling your leg, but he was so funny. And so Lecter said, Mark, um, I'm in the church building right now, and you'll never guess who's standing next to me. I said, Lecter, who's standing next to you? He said, well, it's the Bishop of Pakistan. He wants to speak to you. <laughs> I said, the Bishop of Pakistan is in our, in our building, our, one, our building, and he wants to speak to me. I thought, this is just one of Lecter's stories. I said, okay, Lecter, put him on the phone. I thought, I've got you now. There was silence. And then, and then this voice came onto the phone. Hello? My name is Samuel. I'm the Bishop of Pakistan. I said, Lecter, that's the best voice I've ever heard you put on. And he went, no, no, I really am the Bishop of Pakistan. And he, begins to, he begin, began to explain to my horror that, um, that he has just been on a preaching tour of America and he had decided to hop on a plane to visit his best friend who just happened to go to your church. We were school friends. And he informs me that you're thinking about going to Pakistan. He says, well, we have a small gathering every year of about 50,000 people. And I, I would like to give you a personal invitation to come to Pakistan. And with that, I put my hands up and said, yes, Lord, I'm going. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. And I went twice, and it was the most amazing thing, seeing the most incredible miracles, thousands being healed. After, after the first day of praying for people, you know, laying hands on them, because I was as green as anything, I realized I couldn't, we couldn't do this for two weeks, let alone another day. Try praying for thousands of people laying hands on them and see how you feel. You know, it goes on, went on for hours and hours and hours and hours and we were so exhausted we realized we couldn't do it. And then when we prayed, you know, we just prayed from the platform and I would see bones straightening. I shared the other day a mother who was holding a two and a half year old son whose feet were he had a, th a condition, I think it's called telepes. Someone can correct me, but his feet, this two, two and a half year old boy, his feet were, were like this, just deformed, and um, he couldn't stand on his own two feet. And 
And as we prayed, a general prayer over thousands of people, um, his feet began to open up like this and unfurl like a, like a flower until they were like that. And then when I said, uh, test your healing out, I saw this mother who was facing me, the two-and-a-half-year-old son, holding him in her arms, put the boy on the platform, completely healed. And when, I'd asked, when I asked um, everyone to do that, I, I then turned to Pastor Yusuf and I said, Pastor Yusuf, now, could you please ask everyone... Um, after they've tested their healing, if Jesus has healed them, you know, to please raise their hand. And I want to tell you, there was thousands of people, thousands going to distance. Every hand went up. I said, no, 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 Pastor Pastor Yusuf, uh, maybe you misunderstood me. Um, Only if Jesus has healed them. He looked at me and he said, they're all healed. What do you expect? It's Jesus. <laughs> so, you know, I learned a lot in those days. I saw amazing things, paralyzed, paralyzed walking, blind eyes opening, the most amazing things. And one, that's, one that really got me was children who uh, were born deaf, couldn't speak. Not only could they hear and speak, but they could understand and speak Urdu. And I could never get my head around that one. So here's Gideon hiding in a wine press. It's so, it's, it's, you know, we feel safe in the wine press, and God, but God is calling his church to step out of the building, to come out of the wine press, to stop hiding. He's, he's, calling, his, he's calling his church out, and he's releasing, he's releasing an identity and an, and an authority that he prayed that the church would we get hold of. And you know, uh, many years ago, a witch, a witch said this to, to us, to our, to our team. This witch said, you Christians have you know, no idea. You're ignorant about what it is you've been given. She went on to say, we witches spend, uh, we spend months tra- trapping a demon into a tree. Now, if you know why a witch would do that, please don't come and tell me. I have no interest for that kind of knowledge, but that's one of what they want to do. And, and then one of you ignorant Christians walks by our tree and all our work is undone. And I thought, praise God. <laughs> praise God. If we do that in ignorance, what will we do with understanding about our identity and our authority? And Jesus the Holy Spirit of God is bringing the church into the revelation of who we are in Christ and, and what he's done for us and that we are carriers of divine presence, that the Holy Spirit of God lives within us, that you are an ambassador for the King of kings and Lord of lords. You represent Jesus, that he has given you his authority, that he's delegated his authority to you. He's given you the keys to the kingdom. Even as I almost felt like I was given the keys to Coleraine. It's just amazing. I really feel that. I feel there's something spiritual about this. I feel there's something that God is saying, here, Mark, I give you the keys. Go. You begin to speak with authority right now into these areas. Begin to command those mountains to move, those walls to, to, to fall down, uh, the barriers, the hindrances to be removed. Remove them in Jesus' name. And I, and I just really believe God's has given me the favor to be able to do that here. 
Um, this is just a nudge. This is a bit of encouragement for you. Your heavenly Father loves you with all of his heart. You, have, you need to know this. You are sons and your daughters. And you are so precious to him. Your heavenly Father loves you with all of his heart. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you give your children the deepest revelation of your love for them and what it is you've done for them. Even as Paul prays for the Ephesians, that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they may know what it is that we have been given, that we may know Jesus better, this inheritance in the saints, that Jesus has, this Jesus that God has raised up, the Father has raised up from the dead. Jesus died on the third day. God raised Jesus back to life. He spent 40 days appearing to the disciples and and hundreds of eyewitnesses saw Jesus. But Jesus spoke to his disciples about the kingdom. He wanted them to get the truth, to hold onto the truth, to understand what it is that he had given to them, what he has made available to them so that Peter and John at the gate beautiful when they saw that crippled beggar said silver and gold I don't have but what I have I give to you that Jesus wants you to know what it is you've been given and then God raised this Jesus up and he ascended into heaven and God raised him the father raised him and sat him at his right hand on a throne of power of power a throne of power and authority and has placed all things every power and principality every title Anything uh, that has anything, any kind of authority or power he has placed under his feet, every sickness, every disease that you're ever, ever likely to encounter, every sickness and disease in this room, every disability he has placed under the feet of Jesus, and Jesus rules and reigns. He's at rest. He said, It is finished on the cross when he shed his blood for the sins of mankind. And every sickness, he said, It is finished. And heaven becomes our home. The moment we believed in Jesus and received him, heaven became our home. And Jesus has raised us up and has sat us with him. And we became citizens of God's kingdom, children of heaven, where God is our father. And we have a seat at the king's table. We can come and go whenever we like. It's a privileged position. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We've been adopted into his family and we're heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. And Jesus says, now I give you my authority. You're a mighty warrior. You are a mighty warrior. You may not know it, you may not feel like it, but you are a mighty warrior. But you may say, Mark, but Mark, you don't know me. I I don't need to know you. It's enough that I know myself. And when I know myself, I know that if I can stand here and do this as a shy introvert, then nothing's impossible for you. But Mark, you don't know me. I'm, you know, just, just as Gideon said, but our clan's the smallest. I'm the least. I'm the least in my clan. And God says, that's enough. That's enough. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's enough. But I'm so weak. That's perfect. 
because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And God said to Gideon, go in the strength that you have, but I have such little strength. You have more than enough, more than you know. See, the difference was when the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, it transformed him, it made him to a different person. Uh, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? And you know, if you knew the, 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 the authority, the power that God has given to you, and the very person of the God, the Holy Spirit, I just realized I've gone over time, sorry. If God could show you, if you had the revelation that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And Jesus said the kingdom, the kingdom of God is within you. That right where you are is a place of miracles. That wherever you go, goes the kingdom of God, the atmosphere of heaven. That you transform, you know, wherever you do life, you transform that area, that workplace, the schools, wherever it is you work, wherever it is you do life, where you do your shopping, you're transforming, you change, you bring, uh, you bring life, you bring the light of Jesus. Jesus said, not only will you do what I've been doing, you'll do greater things. Because I'm sending another like me, the counselor, the spirit of truth, who will not only be with you, but will live in you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. You'll do the things that I've been doing and greater things, says the Lord. And Gideon goes, he has the spirit of God on him, and he says, well, okay, we'll do this. With 32,000, we'll take on these Midianites. And God says, no, no, Gideon, too many. You know why? Because he's saying, Gideon, you'll think you've done this in your strength, but I want to show you, I want to show you that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. They brittle that army down to 300, just 300. But there's so few of us, oh, there's more than enough. Because your light, your salt and your yeast, you affect everything around you. So church, what, I, what the Lord is encouraging is this. You, you are loved so dearly. You are, you are loved by your heavenly father. But he, as he embraces you, his eyes are gazing outside of this building into the broken places. His eyes are gazing outside of this wine press, this safe place, this fortress that we've made for ourselves. Wherever, wherever it is that you may feel safe and hide, God says, step out of that, that place that you think is safe. I want to tell you the, the best place to be in the midst of a storm, when you're out at sea, is walking on water with Jesus. <laughs> And his eyes are looking outside the building onto those broken places, those hurting places, those dark places to a people who are far away from him, who are crying out, who will go to bed tonight weeping, crying out to a God they don't know. And you are his feet, you are his hands, you are his mouthpiece. You are the ones who represent him, his ambassadors. Begin to exercise the authority that you have. Go in the strength that God's given you. And he will astound you. He will amaze you. This week, you're going to find opportunities to pray for people, to share 
the Jesus that you know. There are people who will run from you. They may curse you, but let it go. Don't be discouraged. Don't be terrified. But in the same, same way, there'll be people who are dying to hear about the Jesus you know. You'll have opportunities to pray for them, and you'll go, gosh, I just realized they've just told me what's wrong with them. What do I do? Okay, summon up my courage. Here goes. Could I just pray for you? <laughs> and pray your best prayer. It doesn't matter. I want to tell you, you could pray your best prayer. Your words could come out back to front, upside down. But if you pray from your heart, your best prayer from your heart, connect to the heart of the one that you're lifting up to God, the Lord will say, no, that prayer was perfect. It's all I want you to do. And God will astound you. And God is, is transforming this city. He's transforming and changing the city. He's going to do it through you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sorry, I've gone over time. Forgive me.